0: Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. I am Jeremy Graves and thank you very much for checking out the podcast today. But it is not just me who is here today because of course I couldn't do this on my own because I must bring in my co-host, the one and only Mr. Andy Hanley. Andy, how's it going today? Yeah, very good. They call me the ultimate doom. Uh, well (laughs) very presumptuous of you but yes everyone today that is going to be the focus of the show we are talking about the ultimate doom trilogy as i have decided to call it that is episodes eight through ten of the first season of the transformers cartoon very excited to talk about this today because there's a lot to unpack with these three episodes andy
1: Yeah. I mean, as, as mentioned on the last episode, like these are some of my favorite episodes and yeah, like rewatching them just kind of reinforced why Um, like there's, there's a lot of, of good and interesting stuff here that sort of deviates a bit from the normal transformers formula as well, which I think is why it's interesting. Like it's not just the typical like Decepticons find a power plant, attack it, blah, blah, blah. Like there's, there's,
0: there's a lot more to this kind of particular set of episodes. Indeed. And before we go any further, because I figured I might as well make mention of this now, if you want to find us on on the uh, on the social media, that's the word I was thinking, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at StarscreamsPod on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to drop us an email at any point, you can do so at StarscreamsGhostPod at gmail.com. And hopefully in the coming weeks as well, we'll be starting to have a few little clips as well from certain episodes as we sort of get this thing properly rolling and out and whatnot. So it's not just a question of us saying new episode is out. There will be some other stuff going on as well. And who knows, Andy, there may be some other Transformers-related things in the works on that too.
1: Yeah, yeah, quite quite possibly. We've we, we've all got other Transformers stuff that we can show off, talk about, et cetera, et
0: cetera. So uh, who knows? There we go. So Andy, to sort of in a way you go back to the last episode of the podcast but also just to sort of bring it forward you mentioned that this trilogy of episodes is is one that really strikes you and it's i think you mentioned it was actually the trilogy of episodes that really got you into transformers so when it comes to, just as like a, a brief summary when it comes to watching them in the run-up to recording this today how have you felt about watching it this time does it still hold up i guess is the way to phrase it yeah, yeah, I think so. Like, you know, we'll we'll
1: get into the nitty-gritty of it in, in due course. But, like, yeah, as, as I mentioned, this is more than just your sort of... More than meets the eye. Um, uh-huh. it's, it's, more, it's more than your, your kind of typical Transformers episode. And it feels like, especially re-watching it and thinking about it, and um, you, you look at the credits for these episodes, that, A, they have multiple writers assigned to them, and, B, they actually have a screenplay. They have a teleplay. And it sort of feels like... My suspicion, and this is completely just like off off of the top of my head, I've not done any research into this. It feels like at this point, these episodes were made with a viewpoint of like, hey, we want a story that we can sell on VHS tape to kids. Like we don't just want some random episodes. We want a good solid story that will fit on a cassette tape that we can sell. And hey, if you call it the ultimate doom, then it sounds really cool as well. But this feels like it was created for a a higher purpose if you like than just sort of syndication on tv um it feels almost like an an ova of sorts to to kind of put it into anime terms and i think that's why it stands out because it it feels like it has a lot more care and attention to it not which means it is not without its issues and errors as i'm sure we'll get to through (laughs) these episodes but like in terms of its broader story and what it's trying to do it feels like they've tried to up the ante with this one so to, to make it stand out
0: i completely agree and especially when you mentioned about having a screenplay this story felt v- it had a very very clear direction and thinking back to the last set of episodes that we talked about particularly those first two that we discussed and i mentioned going in i really like i wasn't too hot on them but then going back and analyzing it deep more deeply as it were or deeper i i did actually enjoy them but this came across from the get-go like there is a very clear direction and they knew exactly what beats they wanted to hit in the story i think that is a really strong point of this the other thing which I, again i've well i say again you mentioned it but i've not done extra research into this either admittedly but this also felt like it had a big purpose which is something you just alluded to as well and i put it akin to Something to do with the G.I. Joe franchise. I don't know if you're aware of this, but when it comes to the cartoon, they originally did a bunch of sort of five episode releases, if you will, or stories. And that was partly to to be able to sell the cartoon on VHS at the time and whatnot. Eventually, they would be integrated as part of season one, as it were. But there was um, like the Pyramid of Darkness is a five episode special in the context of G.I. Joe. And it was basically a five-episode story to help market the toys. And if there's something that I feel these episodes do very well, is it actually shows off a bunch of the Transformers incredibly well. And some who basically have had no screen time as well, who suddenly have some of the best, like, one-liners and some great moments in the actual entire show so far. I feel like this had a very, very solid purpose. And it might have been to try and sell more toys and such, but this... This felt very different and almost of the same level of the initial three episodes that we actually talked about previously.
1: Yeah, I, and that that is particularly interesting, because this sort of made me realise th- these episodes made me realise, like, Braun is a perfect example. My my childhood memory of this is that Braun was a regular in every episode with his, like, snappy one-liners. And actually, like, when you look back over these episodes, he's not turned up all that much until this story where he gets kind of quite a lot of, of good moments. And yeah, there are definitely a few characters, like Sunstreaker gets a bunch of, of lines, and this one gets a bit of character rather than just being, look at the cool yellow car um and you know there there are definitely moments like that as well so yeah i suspect there is a side to that as well of let's use this as a real sort of promo push for the toy line in a broader sense rather than just kind of like optimus prime and megatron etc etc
0: i could even perhaps almost imagine that these three episodes were given away when you bought some toys kind of like if you spend X amount, you'll get a free videotape of some episodes or vice versa, buy the video, you get money off of a Transformer.
1: Yeah, well, I remember like the, the big thing with the Transformers toys was that you got robot points. And you could use your robot points either to get stuff. I'm not sure whether anything was free, really, but you could definitely get like money off certain things that they would like advertise either like in the booklets that came with them or in the comics. And yeah, there were definitely times when I think the VHS tapes were like available relatively cheap if you had enough robot points. Um, And I think it was like, you got one point for like the little kind of mini bots, like Bumblebee, etc., and you got like two for some of the others, and maybe like Optimus Prime was a three because he was bigger and more expensive. And I've got to admit, I don't think as a kid I ever used any of my robot points. I think I just kept them all. I never used any of them. <laughs> uh, there, there was uh, there was also a point. There was like a membership scheme you could sign up to. I think I used robot points to get that. Um, and that was kind of a, about it. but yeah, so there, there was there was definitely always that cross promotion going on of like especially between the the, the toys and yeah like the VHS tapes and, and you know some of the other things like the 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 you know um the, the kind of speaking tape things I always forget what they actually called them, but you know they were audio books basically um before audio books was a thing um, and, and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah, I suspect there was
0: a bit of that going on as well. So from there, everybody, let's get to the first episode of the day. That being, the Ultimate Doom Brainwash. We begin with the narrator saying the following. Off the Malibar coast of India, a Maharaja has converted his palace into a solar power station as a gift to his people. Then the episode begins, quite frankly, without delay, as the solar power station is suddenly... It suddenly starts losing power, and that's when the Decepticon Seeker jets attack the Maharaja's Palace, and this is where the big solar energy plant is. The Autobots consisting of Prime, Wheeljack, Sunstreaker, and Jazz are en route and make use of Wheeljack's new invention to cross the water, hydrofoils, or if you want it in more broader terms, water skis. However, it turns out that this this is all a diversion by the Decepticons, as we learn that Megatron is with a scientist named Dr. Arkaville, or as it's also later referred to at one point, Dr. evil I'm just pointing that out now because that's a very, very clever spelling of that. And the plan is called Operation Guinea Pig. With Prime's team engaged in combat, Soundwave is at Autobot HQ and uses Rumble to cause a distraction, then Ravage as backup for Rumble when he gets attacked, and then Laserbeak ends up just simply swooping in from the top of the volcano where the ark is embedded and kidnaps spark plug at this point with the the plan complete megatron recalls the seekers much to the confusion and worry of optimus prime it's at this point they learn of the incident at the ark as at the time they were still at the Maharaja's palace this is quite the beginning of the episode andy A, a lot goes on here but Like I mentioned, there was a very clear direction from the outset with these set of episodes. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. The fact that there was this guinea pig plan and Laserbeak just literally kidnapped Sparkplug. That's, I think, at this point, aside from just, you know, blowing up things around humans in general, this is the most danger a human has had in the entire show, I think. Sans Spike being captured by the Decepticons a few episodes ago.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the interesting things right the way through this set of episodes is the human drama angle because quite often in transformers the human characters feel like they're just there as kind of like audience inserts of like oh well imagine if you were a kid and you were hanging out with the transformers and that's kind of like the limit of you know is spike writing in his notebook about how cool the transformers are kind of thing and and that's that's usually the limit of what they do apart from when spike has his like superhuman moments and throws rocks at people (laughs) or whatever. Um, but you know, that there's a very, there's a very limited sort of subset of things that the humans do. And the great thing about these episodes is it has actual genuine, like human drama and peril. And there's some really good kind of like emotional impacts to that stuff. And it all kind of starts from, from there. Um, which yeah, like it's, it's an interesting start to the episode. It's a surprisingly competent plan for the from the Decepticons compared to their norm, which is usually pretty kind of rote. Like it, it's it's kind of quite intricate, a bit like sort of the Autobots' plan, you know, that, that we saw in, in the last episode that we we looked at. Um, and, I, and I do enjoy plans that aren't just let's attack them, you know. And there, there's kind of there's a certain complexity to that. Um and then finally if if this show wasn't like decades old I'd feel like somebody had listened to me complaining about everything being set in the desert Of like fine <laughs> we're just going to draw a big indian palace then we're going to draw a big like off brand taj mahal let's see how you like that because it's suddenly it's like oh you know we're getting some interesting location stuff here as well and also you could include the ocean in that as well because we see the autobots water skiing <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's that's one of the things that I I think I've sort of enjoyed and and kind of forgotten, like going through this this series is the fact that it uses the fact that all of its main characters are robots to have a lot of fun in terms of let's just do cool things. I mean, much as we poked fun at them, at various Transformers having sort of like one use only Things that they suddenly decide they can do, you know, with some of which again we see in these episodes. There is a lot of fun to be had from that of just like, hey, they they need to travel on water. Cool, we can just give them water skis, and uh, you know that that stuff is kind of uh, you know, child me is impressed with that and like, oh, that's a really cool thing. Uh, why is why are these not in the toys? Is probably by the, the unintended consequence of this. Like when you buy the Transformers toys, like, well, why don't they have a hydroform mode as well? Like I've been I've
0: been on. <laughs> the other thing I do want to know actually is that I think this is the first time that we see all three cassettes appear from Soundwave's chest in succession. Yeah, and I don't I don't know how that works either. If that was going to be your next question. <laughs> it was like I, 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 Honestly, I was actually just gonna say I just thought it was really cool. It was kind of finally almost this is a dumb way to phrase it, but it was almost like Soundwave finally reaching his potential for something like this we've seen him infiltrate the arc a few times we've seen ravage do it laser beak's done it and this kind of feels like this is like the ultimate doom you know this is the plan finally coming together all those times they infiltrated it was for this
1: yeah yeah may- maybe maybe so but uh yeah like that 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 stuff is is quite uh quite cool i mean again like talking about sort of complaints that you have about the toys it's like well why can i only put one cassette in Soundwave? like he stores all of them somehow like he's some kind of multi-tape player but
0: anyway <laughs> we cut to the underwater decepticon hq where laserbeak arrives with spark plug who is promptly strapped to a chair and he is at the will of doctor i've written his name down wrong again dr Arkaville. For context, everybody, I wrote down his name as something else prior, so if occasionally I stumble on his name, that's why. I'm just saying that from the outset. He is now going to be his test subject for Dr. Arkaville's Hypno Chip. The chip is the size of like a small microchip, and it can override the will of the human who it's quote unquote installed in, just behind their ear and such. Sparkplug is the recipient of this. Also during this time, we learn from a communication between Megatron and Shockwave on Cybertron that a new space bridge is being prepared, and it's seemingly going to be larger as it needs to carry, quote-unquote, special cargo. But Shockwave points out that delivering said cargo will use up all remaining energon cubes they have. To test the the hypnochip's efficiency, if you will, using a dummy and what I've written down here, Andy, as a scale model of Optimus Prime... Doctor Archival runs a test on the chip by making Sparkplug attack, which let's call it like it is. He tackled Optimus Prime's leg, and Prime went flying. It was quite impressive at that point. Uh, and tackling the life-size model. With the test complete, Megatron is happy. This will help him conquer Earth and the Autobots once and for all. Just to analyse that for a few moments, Andy, because like you mentioned, when it comes to the human drama, I've kind of summed it up very succinctly there, but. There is a real sense of danger for Sparkplug in all this. This is the most danger he has been in himself. And having the, this evil mad doctor there with his wacky get-up. And, like, why has he got a robot hand? No one knows. We'll never know, quite frankly. But there's just a real air of, th- this is some serious business going on. They are not mucking around this time.
1: Yeah, and there's
0: I, I really like it. It's...
1: It's kind of interesting because you don't get any real like origin story for Doctor Arkaville of like who he actually is, where he's come from. He's just kind of randomly turned up and like, hey, I'm a mad doctor. Can I give you a hand, kind of thing. (laughs) But like as 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 characters go, like he works really well in these episodes because he's just he's just the right kind of evil doctor for this. Because normally in these circumstances, you either get the kind of moustache twirling villain. That's always kind of a little bit pantomimey, a little bit too over the top. Or you get the kind of scientist that's like, oh, he really actually he wants to save the world. He just has misguided notions about what how to do that. Whereas this guy, as it sort of becomes clear pretty quickly, he, he's, he's basically like Megatron in human form. He just wants to like dominate the planet. He wants to rule it. And that's it. And he's quite happy to do whatever he wants to make that happen. And there's something I think that kind of stuck with me, even as a kid that was quite like malevolent about him of just being completely self-serving. There's no kind of mistaking what his intentions are. It is just completely like single track, self-centered, you know, greed for for power. Um, and that's kind of that that works really well for that character. Um, but beyond that, like, I'm not sure whether... Spark plug is also super strong, or whether that is just a polystyrene Optimus Prime <laughs> that they made for him to attack. Um did enjoy the fact that like Starscream, etc. just like, oh my god, it's Optimus Prime, as like Megatron kind of enjoying that moment and like clearly hadn't been like, oh, by the way, like we've made, we've made a polystyrene Optimus Prime. Don't worry about it. It's just like, no, nah, I'm just gonna, I was gonna pull this prank on them <laughs> and just like, let them have their moment of, of, you know, what, what, w- whatever the transformer equivalent of soiling yourself is before he's like, nah, not really. Um, <laughs> but that's, that, that's a really good, a really good moment on multiple levels. Um, but yeah. And the whole, like, Hypnochip chip thing is such like a tried and tested thing i feel of, of saturday morning cartoons and of that elk in particular of the whole mind control thing it gets done in every series i can think of at some point but i think this is a really effective version of it like especially as we move a little bit deeper into
0: these episodes agreed and just to, to focus on the point you made about dr arkville unless i'm misremembering this is the first evil human we've come across in the entire series so far and yeah, it, it yeah. and that's why his character stands out so much as well D- despite his his in- intentions his goals whichever it is that's why he stands out so much as well because it is the first human to side with the, with the decepticons
1: yeah yeah and and again i mean you, you mentioned you know we, we don't know why he's got like a mechanical hand etc I think that all really helps to kind of put him across like it's a really good, strong piece of character design work because it's just like he's clearly been trying stuff towards these ends for quite some time. And he's been quite happy to like experiment on himself to get there. And it's just that feeling of like complete abandon of just like he doesn't really care what happens to anyone or anything as long as he gets his way. Um, And it's a really good like having said, you know, he gets no backstory. He gets no introduction. but you get, just by looking at him, you get a really good feel for who that character is and kind of how he's ended up at this point, um, which is kind of, you know, it's, it's a really strong, you know, a really strong example of, of how good character design can can put across a lot of things without even
0: having to explain it in the story. And you actually mentioned it in passing about Starscream's reaction to the model of Prime, but I do actually want to add an additional note, which I didn't mention in my recap there, that after, like, the Decepticons were returning to HQ, Skywarp and Starscream were having a little bit of a tiffy at each other. And it got to the point where they were literally coming to blows with one another as they were, like, entering the base. And that is the first time, I want to say, Sans, you know, Starscream just getting on Megatron's nerves, that we've actually seen two Decepticons willingly fight each other. And that's another interesting just character development thereof. And as we'll come on to... I know our I know our podcast Annie, is called Star Ghost, but man, does Star Scream just in every single episode just keep upping the ante ever so slightly when it comes to what he's trying to do?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and again, that 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 has some interesting kind of you know uh, some interesting side effects and and machinations that happen in these episodes that it kind of plays into, which uh, again includes more decepticon on decepticon fisty cuffs uh, later
0: on that we can get to so th- at that point it is a commercial break in the episode following the break the autobots arrive at a cliff edge with prime saying that they have they each have their assignments let's get to it which then prompts jazz to say into the ocean let's be daring last one in is a rusty herring
1: yeah, Jazz Je- needs to work on his rhyming couplets. Like, that's not really. <laughs> it's just not not really doing it for me.
0: Uh, uh, there was a point uh, to, to try and paint a picture here, Andy. When that was said, I literally hit pause and I just audibly went, "Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't hold it back." so yeah uh, which yeah. is also why i wrote it down because it's an appalling yeah. bit of rhyming
1: that that's there yeah, that's definitely one of those moments where I, I feel like it was probably like drawing a short straw of like we've got to make jazz do a jazz thing like a, a music thing <laughs> he's got to rhyme he's got to rap a bit and everyone's just like oh i don't want to try and make jazz rap in this like situation and if somebody had to do it and very begrudgingly
0: wrote that and be like is that all right that's fine right It's like, right, we need to... It's like a bingo card, right? Have we got Jazz's line? Yep, that'll do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The assignment that Prime is referring to involves one large group of Autobots diving into the ocean in search of the Decepticon base. They quickly find it and an underwater battle begins. During this time, Hound, Cliffjumper and Windcharge, I've written down here, are digging underground to go below sea level with the goal of effectively borrowing underground enough to then appear underneath the Decepticons' base. Eventually, they are able to do just that and begin firing a laser at the hull of the ship. While this is going on inside, Starscream and the Doctor are having a disagreement, to say the least, with Starscream making it clear that the Prisoner, I'm assuming Sparkplug, isn't going anywhere, despite what Megatron says when it comes to his diabolical plan. The Doctor, though, is having none of it and threatens to reprogram Starscream into a trash compactor. Quite the threat. As the conversation is reaching boiling point, the the ground literally gives away under Starscream. He falls into the ocean bed below. Then the Autobots jump in, get Sparkplug, and leave. Starscream is furious once he gets back inside, but as the Doctor points out, don't worry, they've now got our slave. There was a lot that happened there, which I have quite simply just brushed over, Andy. But to begin with, the whole underwater fight sequence, which I really have not done any justice in pointing out, I loved this entire sequence of events, because it's the first time, really, that the Autobots have properly just gone on the offensive against the Decepticons, and the idea they're just going to find their base underwater and just attack them, and the visual of an underwater fight even if Bumblebee somehow managed to make a rocket turn around, I was going to say in mid-water, but that doesn't make sense, but there was a rocket coming towards him, and he just kind of somehow turned it around and then sent it back. There was just so much visually really, really striking about this underwater battle, and I loved it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bumblebee just, yeah, grabbing a a missile and just somehow just sort of redirecting it is... uh... It makes no sense, but it's kind of like definitely like my kid brain was like, yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> like that's a cool thing to do. Um, I really like the use of, of coloring for for all of the, the underwater stuff. Like, you know, they, they deliberately sort of dull down and everything is sort of like bluish sort of tones. And it kind of, a lot of the, the Autobots in particular look kind of cool in those sort of alternate color schemes. Um, but yeah, this is definitely a good set piece. Like he, even the way you know, the Autobots find the base and kind of, you know, like Wind charges just like looking for something metal basically to find out when they're in the right spot and kind of digging underground. There's just a lot of things that are sort of relatively cool, but when you smash them all together into sort of a single like scene,
0: it kind of becomes extra cool. And in the context of the series as well, like I mentioned, this being the first time the Autobots have really gone on the offensive and You could, obviously, you could tell the Decepticons were kind of expecting something, but just that sense of urgency from the Autobots, it was just very, very refreshing, I guess is the way to put it. And yeah, they were going to rescue Sparkplug as the primary objective, but just the fact that it was Prime was basically in no-nonsense mode, and it was great.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it, it also doesn't tip its hands too much. I think one of the things these episodes do well all the way around is, is is the story never tips its hand as to what's coming next necessarily. Like it kind of, it kind of lets things play out organically, perhaps partly just because it has, you know, three episodes to play with. It doesn't need to rush through things and have to just like explain them. But, you know, you don't get a like, here's what the Autobots are going to do. You're just allowed to sit and watch it and kind of figure it out for yourself as it all comes together. And And that's actually quite, quite pleasing and refreshing
0: in itself as well. Back at Autobot HQ, repairs are being conducted on various Autobots. Spike, understandably, is delighted his dad is back, but Sparkplug isn't being very talkative and his personality seems a bit different, to say the least, which both Spike and Wheeljack notice immediately. Sparkplug is certainly raising a few eyebrows with his actions, like repairing an Autobot that's already fine, being a prime example of that. No pun intended, they're just using the word prime because it was easy. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, the Decepticons just barge in, break a hole in the wall, and are attacking, being led by Megatron. The Autobots are trying to fight back, but their weapons are malfunctioning. Then Bumblebee and Spike are wondering, w- w- what the heck's going on? Why didn't Teletram d- detect them? And then Bumblebee's like getting hit by one of the Decepticons. Spike runs through to the computer room and literally somehow trips over his dad's wrench, which is by an open panel in Teletram 1. And he puts two and two together and figures out that's my dad's wrench. He's done something here. What what the heck is going on? Cue Sparkplug to arrive. And when questioned by Spike what he's doing, Sparkplug says that, that he can't not do it. Because the Doctor, the Decepticons have done something. Which then cues the Doctor back in the Decepticon base to basically supercharge his his hypno chip a little bit and restore full mind control to the doctor, And then Sparkplug then swipes away Spike, quite frankly, before disappearing into the, I'll call it the smoke, because it was pretty much filling the room at that point. As upset as Spike is, he realizes that he that he just has to do something and he reactivates Teletram 1 by dropping Sparkplug's wrench into the circuit board of Teletram 1. Typical human thing. The equivalent of just, like, hitting your TV, basically, to make yeah. it work. <laughs> he triggers an alarm, and a quote-unquote fire-retardant foam begins to spray everywhere. And apparently, according to Megatron, this foam will do permanent damage if they do not leave immediately. So the Decepticons, having done what they intended to, bid the Autobots farewell on this occasion. Sparkplug also tries to leave, but but before, so, before doing so, rather... He is asking Spike to join him, which he refuses to do. But Sparkplug makes it clear that when they next meet, they are not father and son, they are enemies. Scene. (laughs) Again, another just really gripping scene, quite frankly. And the whole idea that they managed to malfunction Teletram, Sparkplug just being that mysterious, the heck's up with you, buddy, sort of character. And then eventually just the dots joining together and such, and the weapons malfunctioning, just so much going on here adding more jeopardy to what's already happened in the first segment
1: yeah yeah and and i mean this is <clears throat> this is where the, the human drama stuff that i kind of talked about really starts to come into play and, and, and actually like kudos to um spike's voice actor in particular throughout these episodes because like ev- everyone else in the show you know they're playing robots so they you feel they like always have to like tone it down and restrain it somewhat but like you get especially in later episodes you get a real feeling of like distress from Spike of just like you know my my dad's kind of you know under under this hypnotic hypnotic control and it all gets ramped up by things like that whole like yeah next time we meet we're enemies which is a really good line really well delivered um and all of that stuff is really powerful um and and I sort of having not really remembered this particular the nitty-gritty of this part of it like it was kind of fun watching this play out because my initial thought was like well you could test your hypno chip on any human in the world why would you risk like getting spark plug to do it and then it's like only at this point that i remembered like ah okay yeah this is the deal here Uh, i mean to be fair when Sparkplug started like repairing Autobots that didn't need it, I thought maybe he just had the bends from being dropped into the ocean, into the deep ocean by the Autobots and just saying, Hold your breath while we take you to the surface. Right. Actually, um, I-, I forgot to mention
0: that. That was like a hang on a second moment.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely a bit of a, a bit of a flaw there. Um but but yeah, that's uh at, that's at least transform all... and put him inside or something, you know. Yeah, you'd have thought they would have maybe done something like that and I mean yeah I I'm 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 willing to give them that one in terms of like ah well kids aren't gonna know about like you know decompression sickness so you know it's fine. Um but yeah no that the whole the whole bit with with kind of spark plug in there is 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 really well done. Like I, I really sort of enjoy I sort of enjoy that they, they use it as a sort of, you know, as a good show of just, like, how mindless he's become, that he's just kind of, you know, he's been given an instruction, but he's just, like, doing it to the nth degree. And, like, you know, even Dr. is just like, ah, no, not like that, damn it. Um, and, and that that whole thing, like, works out really well. Um, I'm questioning why you would install a fr- uh, fire-retardant foam in your robot spaceship when it is apparently damaging to robots when it's lethal it's, quite frankly yeah. <laughs> it's 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 a bit like taking your like computer server room and saying we'll just put water sprinklers in it because what could possibly go wrong <laughs> you know it's it's somebody who, whoever whoever did the the health and safety and the fire inspection and the art probably
0: they should get someone else like i don't i don't think they're they're fit for purpose It almost makes you wonder if, like, when Teletram 1 was, like, repairing everything and kind of 3D printing everything again, if, like, it somehow just happened to scan, like, a fire-retardant phone system and just thought, oh, Yeah. yeah, that'll come in handy.
1: Yeah, uh, maybe maybe there is some Autobot hidden away that actually like just transforms into a fire extinguisher and is just like, "God damn, you Talatran, why, why me?
0: I'm why am I a fire extinguisher?"
1: <laughs> Which actually, I mean, that that was one of the the, the jokes. The, the the Transformers comics had a variety of other like little kind of like your typical back page of the newspaper comic strips, and I remember one of them. I don't remember the title of the actual like comic strip, but it was like. T- failed transformers that didn't kind of make the grade in like sort of Optimus Prime's inner core and it was just like the guy that got turned into a toaster and you know the the, the guy that got t- the, the Autobot that got turned into a dustbin and you know all, all of that kind of stuff but it, it did it, it did make me think of that in that moment
0: <laughs> also I need to say shout out to, to Sunstreaker because did you catch the line of dialogue that he said to Ratchet when he was being repaired
1: oh I- yeah Yeah, i can't remember that one
0: specifically be careful with that thing you'll you'll get scorch marks on my selenium shin guards
1: yeah, yeah, it's, it, it, and again, I mean that's sort of back to what we were talking about with sort of fleshing out some of these characters that haven't had much chance. Like, uh, admittedly, it's very like high level in Sunstreaker's case, but it's just like putting across the fact that he's incredibly vain. Of just like, look, every time Sunstreaker says anything, it's got to be like complaining about something damaging his bodywork, etc., cetera, et cetera. And it's like, yeah, that 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 works, and that gives you more on that character than you've had thus far to this
0: point, where he's just kind of been hanging around. We join Megatron and Thundercracker at a giant metal structure, which we come to find out is an energy pylon for the space bridge, which is being used to bring the entire planet of Cybertron to Earth. The Doctor's reaction to this is is not only shock and anger, as he's been promised when, when all is said and done that he will have the Earth to rule, quite frankly, but he highlights that the gravity is going to cause earthquakes and tidal waves and is basically going to ruin the Earth. Back at Autobot HQ, Teletrans systems have been restored. And with that, the Autobots discovered the pylons have a pyramid-like formation and have an apex that points behind this galaxy that they are currently in. They quickly realize it's a space bridge and they roll out to meet the Decepticons head on. At this point, Shockwave informs Megatron that the bridge is complete and the plan can go ahead. But at that moment, the Autobots arrive and are about to attack Megatron when he reveals his trump card, Human Slaves. Prime halts his comrades as they must not hurt the humans. Quote unquote," from Megatron, You disappoint me, Prime. I never dreamed you'd let a few worthless flesh creatures stand in the way of attacking us. Prime proceeds to chase after Megatron. I don't know if you noticed in the animation, Andy, but narrowly missing standing on a human in the process. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at this point, the slaves are then ordered to attack the remaining Autobots and do just that, causing a wave of confusion because the Autobots have got that look of, the heck do we do now, quite frankly? Sparkplug then begins hitting Bumblebee, but Spike arrives and seemingly manages to get through to him a little bit. Maybe the hypno chips malfunctioning a tad. But the Doctor is saying at this point he is detecting biofeedback and must recompile the control codes. The Happy Family reunion that I was alluding to, though, is short-lived as the Doctor regains control of Sparkplug and just throws Spike out the way. Now, Shockwave is ready to begin proceedings, but makes it known that Cybertron will be, quote-unquote, catapulted into oblivion if the pylons aren't correctly aligned. Now, at this point, Pylons 1 and 2 are activated by Spark, Plug, and Thundercracker respectively. But this now leads to a confrontation between Prime and Megatron at the third pylon. But Megatron now shows another of his trump card hands. In basically making it known to Prime, hey, if we don't turn this on, Cybertron's gone. That was not meant to rhyme, I realise it kind of did. But at this point, Prime's very much got the moral dilemma of the Earth, but Friends and family are still on Cybertron. And ultimately, it is Optimus Prime that activates the third pylon to make the space bridge just start running and go. The space bridge activates. Cybertron arrives in Earth's orbit and the gravitational pull immediately starts causing havoc just everywhere on Earth. Tidal waves, earthquakes, you name it. Megatron celebrates this occurrence as the episode draws to a close. I know I've just read out a heck of a lot of stuff there, Andy, but just this entire third act of this episode was so good.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think this was definitely, this was the moment where like, even as a kid, I kind of like really sat up and paid attention to it because there's so much stuff that is kind of, there's a real gravitas to a lot of what happens here. Like the whole like human shield thing is just kind of like, it's a really good example of like Megatron is, best slash worst, like delete is applicable, um, of just, you know, being absolutely malevolent. The way all of that stuff kind of plays into like Optimus Prime's kind of quote-unquote weaknesses um, is kind of interesting. And the whole whole point of the like, you know, you can either choose to save Earth or Cybertron, you kind of can't choose both for Prime, is just a really fantastic moment. It's a really good little twist in again one of those bits that that sort of marks this story out from the norm because it's not that like clear-cut black and white you know goodies versus baddies it's like here's an impossible choice of you know what what do you sacrifice and it's really fascinating and kind of great to see Optimus Prime put in that scenario where he has to choose and you know he chooses Cybertron and that's like there's so much weight and so much that you can kind of put into just that decision um, that, you know, that, that could have been an episode all by itself and it would have been
0: super compelling. Yeah. And just the action going on here, like just the, the I mean, again, no sort of sort of pun intended here, but given your know, gravity is involved now, but the gravity of the entire situation is just put across so well. And also big shout out to like the voice actors here. Like even when prime's got to make that decision, there is just a there's a real moment in his voice where you could tell he's genuinely got that emotion. And it just comes across so well. And it's yeah, another and, reason and, just why you connect with the voices so well as well, just as a viewer.
1: Yeah, and, and again, I think this sort of comes back to this episode like having multiple writers and a a screenplay, because you can kind of you can kind of hear it in everybody's performances that They've got some real meat to work with. Like, it's not your typical, like, ah, Megatron, I will stop you. Like, there's actual, there's actual stakes. There's actual, you know, gravity, as you say, like, no pun intended. There's, there's a, a, a lot for them to actually work with, with that. And and I think it, it really shows here. Um, and that kind of gets backed up. Like, I forgot how cool the whole animation sequence is when Cybertron kind of appears via the space bridge. There's some, some really cool, kind of quiet, like, was, avant-garde animation to that that is way above and beyond like the norm for this series that kind of like puts across the fact that like this is something that shouldn't be happening in any kind of natural world but somebody has somehow managed to like push the button and make this thing happen and you know especially given you know the, the reveal of you know what the, the Decepticons plan actually is which again even kind of kid brain me was like what well that can't end well like you can't have another big planet so close to our big planet like that's bad um and so you know that's a really fantastic cliffhanger as well for this of just like you can see things starting to go bad and it just it's one of those things that a good story can do really well even though you sort of you know in your head that like well these stories th- this is not like the final these are not the final ever episodes of the transformers they're not just going to like blow up the earth and be done with it. but like to give you that that moment where you're just like, I can't see any way back from this. Like this is kind of like an irretrievable situation where everything is now in such a mess that how do you wind this one back? And that's like a really compelling thing in its own just to see like, well, how, how are they gonna deal with this from here? Cause this seems like an insurmountable problem.
0: You were mentioning about the animation quality of the episode in general. And I think that's actually another thing I wanted to mention at the start is that it felt like the overall budget for this episode was just far greater than what we had seen in the, in the last like three or four episodes. There was just definitely like a class above in this with a lot of what they were doing, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's still not kind of like quite sort of top tier stuff. I mean, again, you know, Transformers, the movie spoils us on that. And there's, you know, there's a moment that I did, I did giggle at where uh, I like, it. I, th- I think it's this episode where like, you know, that we get the whole whole next time we meet will be enemies. And there's a very kind of, Derpy spike face afterwards of just like, oh, what? (laughs) <laughs> which made, made made me made me giggle a little bit. Maybe lost a little bit of its gravitas there. But yeah, there's definitely there's definitely kind of a, a, an uptick in the animation here that I, I I think kind of drops off a little bit by the time you get to the third of these episodes. So they clearly kind of spent the money up front. Um, but yeah, there, there's some really cool stuff here, and and yeah, like you know, again, all the all the design work is really cool. Like the the whole like space pylons and their space pyramid because you have to put space in front of everything as we previously discussed like all of that stuff just like incidental kind of you know secondary design work it just all looks really cool
0: completely agree also i want to give a shout out to a line of dialogue i think was from optimus prime which was when he was fighting megatron he had said something along the lines of as the earthlings say fat chance fat head
1: yeah, it's like I don't I don't remember ever having said that, but uh, but, but you know I'll, I'll take I'll take Optimus Prime's w- w- word for it. I mean I, I did what while, while we're talking about good burns, like I, I did enjoy. I can't remember who it was that said the line to uh, to Megatron, but but the, the line ditto Megadunce. Was, <laughs> like, entertaining, I thought that was a, I, that was that was while they were fighting
0: underwater. Yeah, oh, some really good stuff. So that is the conclusion of the first part of this trilogy so you know what andy we'll do like a a complete review of all three at the end i think is the way we'll go about it so for now then let's move on to the second episode of this trilogy that being the ultimate doom search with cybertron now in the gravitational pull of earth weather-based havoc is just wreaking itself all over the planet quite frankly sparkplug and spike have had another interaction that saw sparkplug try to recruit his son once again to no avail. Starscream leaves the charge for everyone to attack the Autobots while they're all still in shock at the overall gravity, again, no pun intended here, uh, gravity of the situation. But that doesn't go so well, with the wind causing the Seeker Jets' fire that they're trying to shoot at the Autobots to blow back right in their faces, and Ravage even getting electrocuted by some overhead power lines as he's attacking Optimus Prime and an even Rumble being caught off guard by an earthquake before he's even made an earthquake. That's when you know you're having a bad day right there. Eventually, Megatron gives the word for Soundwave to clear the area so that they can continue their work, and he activates audio disruptor waves emanating from him that both the Autobots and Decepticons in the facility are impacted by, forcing a retreat by the Autobots. But interesting to note that these waves seemingly also have some kind of adverse effect on the slaves causing their hypno chips to malfunction dr archival realizing this once again sees that he's got to, to do some additional work to prevent that in the future as he watches on from the decepticon base on the big screen again a lot to i've very much skimmed over a lot of detail there andy but there is a lot that happened and just just seeing some of these fights that occur as well and the fact that Everything that Megatron's plan is doing is also affecting the Decepticons, which, in a way, is a bit of a recurring theme in this story. It is just really cool to see that there isn't isn't even an even playing field for all the Decepticons in this. It's very much this is Megatron's way, and he knows what he wants to do, and isn't really prepared to take everyone else into consideration for that.
1: Yeah, and it, it's a really interesting thing, kind of throughout, you know, this this episode and and the next, somewhat is. I really like the fact that I and I again this is a thing that I would kind of forgotten from watching this in the past like you know I could remember like the Autobots having to struggle with you know all the environmental issues that crop up from you know bringing another planet into earth's orbit I forgot how much impact it just has like on the Decepticons as well like there are consequences across the board and it's kind of like is both sort of fun to watch and kind of interesting to see it play out that way where it's just like no this is just like this situation is a complete mess in terms of like trying to do anything functional other than like collect on energy. On it seems um and and that's kind of put across really well in terms of you know yeah the the winds the natural disasters all of this is just like you know it has an equal effect on everybody on the ground uh, or in the air as it, as it turns out and and that's that's really cool like that's really again it feels like a story that's been thought through of like well if all this stuff is going on like what would that mean to you know any ensuing battles etc cetera, etc cetera. um and that's all all very cool stuff um also shout out having having coined the word fumblebee ourselves and the last episode shout out to the writers of this episode for having the the, the phrase blundercracker right such a good bitches. line is like wait again like if this wasn't like made like 30 over 30 years ago i'd be like wait have you been stealing our, our ideas from this podcast because this, this this was this was our gimmick but no blundercracker that's that's a good one
0: yeah i've actually got that that line of dialogue it was uh it was the line that'll teach him to play with fire blundercracker <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, i think i think Trailbreaker's line I, I couldn't actually make out exactly what the line of dialogue was but it was something along the lines in response to that of yeah I've heard of hot. I've heard of a hot foot, but that's the first hot mole I ever saw. Oh, uh, I think it's hot
1: cone or hot nose. I think it is. Is okay. A nose,
0: nose makes more hot. sense. All right. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. It was. It was something along along those lines. Um, yeah, and and also like Starstring gets gets a whack from Megatron. Finally, <laughs> like you know, it's been it's been a long time coming, but he finally gets a slap. Uh, oh, it's a bit more than a
0: slap. <laughs> It is a bit more. Gets grabbed by the throat at one point, if I remember correctly. So, with the rain still pummeling down, Bumblebee helps Spike escape the area. But Spike doesn't seem his normal self. Almost as if the, the audio disruptor waves that Soundwave was just unleashing on everyone have also done something to him. That's an observation from me, but who knows? Now, here is what you were just alluding to, Andy. Starscream is furious with Megatron for letting the Autobots get away. But Megatron is all fine with this. Uh, Sorry, but Megatron is all but fine with Starscream making his thoughts known on this, punching him down, grabbing him by the throat, and making it clear this is his first and last warning to him. Back at base, Dr. Arkavell installs a new chip. Now, let me finish the sentence, I'll come back to this. Installs a new chip on a human, and as I've written in my notes here, spark plug? Because... I don't know if you agree, Andy, but the animation of Sparkplug here, it did not look like him. I thought it was just some rando human, but ironically, in the episode recap at the beginning of episode three, they actually specifically say it's Sparkplug and showed this same bit of animation. So that's how I figured out in the end, that was definitely Sparkplug. But man, that doesn't look like him.
1: Yeah, it's particularly weird because, yeah, like, you know, there are points where they're sort of, you know, experimenting on, on other humans during these episodes. And, yeah, you kind of lose tabs on whether that was Sparkplug or not. But I, I wonder whether there was something in the original story where it wasn't Sparkplug and then it got changed and they didn't tell the animators or something because mm-hmm. that's, like, my my only explanation
0: for that. Yeah, it was like, you know, just, just leave me with a hard hat, then I'll know it's Sparkplug, you know.
1: That's what you call. It, I it? mean unfortunately, unfortunately again blue collar workers having a really rough time in Transformers because it's all like, you know, construction workers with hard hats that, that end up, you know, being <laughs> being grabbed and turned into slaves by the Decepticons.
0: <laughs> so as I mentioned, Dr. Rockwell is installing a new chip on Sparkplug and informs Megatron that he is of his success in fitting the new chips megatron pr- promises more raw materials as he phrased it which prompts us to see a scene of laser beak literally just kidnapping a few security guards as you just alluded to andy back at base these humans just have no chance they're put in an energy field rumble ends up pulling one of them through the energy field quite In some pretty, I would say gruesome almost animation, just this guy is just being electrocuted for like 10 seconds after. It is pretty flipping gruesome, to say the least. Then Soundwave receives an emergency bulletin, as he phrased it, from Cybertron saying that their Energon levels are critical. We cut back to the Autobots trying to drive their way through this massive storm, but having a very hard time with it. And after Prime is able to activate his polarity switch, which I'm just going to call super high-powered, you know, main beams on your car. Well, I wish I had those on my car, just to say. Uh Bumblebee is further back, but suffers a flat tire. I think that's the first time that's happened in this entire show, Andy. Mm-hmm. It is. Good. I'm glad. Just wanted to make sure we can add that to the to the to the, the bingo card. But when this happens, Spike is in his just in his own world, probably like just emotionally torn up about his dad, quite frankly, just being kidnapped. Just very blasé to the situation before helping. At Decepticon HQ, through a monitor, we see that the Slaves are in the process of collecting lightning bolts, very dangerous, you know, health and safety hazard right there, to create Energon cubes because of Cybertron's proximity to Earth. The weather, as I mentioned, is causing havoc. Lightning bolts are just raining down like there is no tomorrow. Back with Bumblebee and Spike, they've successfully changed the flat tire, but the ground gives way and Bumblebee falls down into the depths below. And Spike tries to help him... And eventually, Laserbeak kidnaps him. The reason I kind of bowled over that is because there was some interesting animation at that point, Andy, where Spike seemed to leap down to help Bumblebee. But then when you, they did the cutaway back, it looked like he had jumped quite a long way and there was no way he could have stood where he was trying to push up Bumblebee up this cliff.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely some continuity issues there. A- also, our recurring problem of Bumblebee continuing to fall into holes somewhat inexplicably because he seemed on relatively sound footing, and then the next thing he's fallen into a big hole. It's like you know, some somebody really needs to needs to have words with that guy because it's not a-
0: it- it's not really helping anybody. Yeah, but I'll I'll let, I'll let you talk now, Max. I've done a lot of talking. Any other thoughts you wanted to convey from what I've just been describing? I don't know
1: why. I- I found it as cool as I did, but like one of my earliest kind of real memories of watching these cartoons as a kid is that scene where Optimus Prime reverses the polarities on his windshield and like you know is it like jazz magnetizes onto the back of Ironhide? Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but that was awesome when I was a kid. I'm not sure it's like it's one of the more mundane things that the Transformers do in the grand scheme of this series, but I just have really Vivid memories. Maybe it's just because I, I found this whole like episode really kind of awesome in the literal sense of just like, you know, they brought Cybertron next to Earth, like everything's messed up. And I think it was maybe just kind of like off of the back of that. But I know I was just very impressed with Optimus Prime Reverse and the polarity on his windshield, and I don't know why. I also don't know why all of our cars can't do that, because if that stops the rain landing on it, then why, you know, somebody get Elon Musk on the phone like why are we not reversing the polarities on our windshields <laughs> i need to i need to know um but yeah like i don't know there, there's something there's something very cool about about this, the whole kind of situation that that is like really fascinating and and again i really like and i'm i'm a little bit torn whether it's deliberate or kind of accidental like, as, as you mentioned like the the sort of the the sound waves that sound wave produces like seem like they have an effect on spike but i'm not sure like whether that's a direct kind of avert thing or whether it's this sort of whether it's kind of playing fast and loose with like spike being in kind of a bit of a daze because you know his dad's run off with the decepticons and is now like said hey you're my enemy and all of this stuff and it kind of like it plays in a really interesting space with his like his his headspace in terms of you don't really know where he's at or how much of this is kind of like his own trauma and how much is that he's just been like messed up by these sand waves and stuff and like it's a really it's a really interesting little bit of depth to his sort of character in that moment that is sort of slightly inscrutable and that kind of makes it fascinating
0: and it's as we've been mentioning like the actual human drama of these episodes is just really paramount and it is great to see
1: yeah yeah like all all the stuff between spike and spark plug is is really kind of strong throughout this episode of like spike trying to you know shake his dad out of it like his dad kind of having this sort of back and forth of like being hypnotized and not um and and it's all done done very well
0: in terms of both kind of like dialogue and performances also shout out to bumblebee nearly changing a, a flat tire by himself through all this yeah i
1: mean it, it kind of feels like yeah he barely really needed spike at all i mean also you you kind of thought like surely if you just like transform into a robot mode it's just like changing your shoes you know <laughs> you could just transform and he could have just done it with his own hands and just like pulled one off and put the other one on um you know it's just like changing into a new pair of slippers but you know what do i know i'm not a transformer but then i also don't fall into deep holes every episode so you know maybe i know something that bob bobby
0: does it was just that moment when spike got out grabbed the spare tire which was flung at him and then he went round to the other tire which had needed to be changed and the hubcap just appeared in his hand suddenly the screws just came and he's like oh nearly there i'll need your help in a second it's like flip a neck man come on
1: yeah well i mean the the part that makes me laugh that whole process is like tires are heavy and bumblebee just like fires it at him out (laughs) of his bonnet like for at a rate of speed it's just like i mean i realize you know as we have discussed spike has some kind of like superhuman strength but it's like come on man this is your buddy like you know toss it a little bit more gently don't fire the like fast
0: pitch straight at him (laughs) Also, did you notice another continuity error in that when he Spike got kidnapped out of Bumblebee's arms, he suddenly had a hard hat on? <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's a fa- If you're an animator and you're not quite sure what you're supposed to be animating, and it's a human in this series, it's probably usually a good guess. Like, ah, they probably have a hard hat. It'll be fine. <laughs> Eight times out of ten, they'll have a hard hat on, most likely. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, to be fair, like you'd have thought Spike would have had a change of clothes at some point by now. Like he's still in his like oil rig. Uniform from like when he was rescued in like episode two, but it's like nope, just that's that's all I'm wearing apparently. That's well, all uh, I've got the, tra- <laughs> the the Transformers, you know, the Autobots won't take me to like Primark or anything. <laughs> but Andy, how will any kid recognize Spike in a different outfit? yeah well and also like you know we don't have the animation budget to design spike in another set of clothes so we it's can't give, we can't uniform. give them a
0: green shirt or something you know
1: yeah <laughs> I, and, and i mean every every kind of construction worker in this entire series has the same uniform like i kind of want to know the deep roar of whether there's some like global <laughs> mega corporation that is controlling all of the world's energy sources anyway and that everyone's just outfitted the
0: same but uh you know that's me thinking about this too much <laughs> So, from where we just were with Bumblebee falling down a hole, a few more of the Autobots have now come to actually look for them, one of them being Hound specifically, as I've noted here, when we then see them attacking Laserbeak, because obviously Spike's just been kidnapped. They successfully managed to save Spike by shooting Laserbeak, who drops Spike, and then Hound then basically goes into drive mode, jumps off a cliff, and catches Spike in midair. I'm sure Spike was eternally grateful for being saved, but they probably could have done that a little bit safer. but. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, I mean that—that's that—that landing's gonna gonna hurt no matter how you do it. Like <laughs> I, I imagine that's probably that's probably not not so good on the on the, the rear end for Spike there. But uh, yeah, I mean I I guess it, it was all under control.
0: I'm sure like nothing could have gone wrong there. Indeed, and Bumblebee is able to be retrieved, and apparently he had actually lost power. I've got noted here, so that's the reason why he couldn't just get out himself. Which fair enough. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, a likely story, Bumblebee. <laughs> but, oh yeah, I just. I don't
1: know. I just lost power. Like I was I've not been drinking. You've been drinking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, also, uh, I I I'm just going to derail this a little bit now. An Autobot has a tractor beam on his arm? Sure. I mean again,
1: wh- why not? You can you can have whatever you want in Transformers world, like, you know, you can suddenly have like a seismic earthquake detector. There there's all sorts you can do <laughs> in this series
0: apparently. Oh, there you go. Back at Decepticon HQ. Skywarp is loaded up with Energon and the human, I think Spark plug at this point, to make the first delivery of Energon to Cybertron. The human is also going so that the Autobots will not take any action, i.e., trying to shoot Skywarp out the sky. This is part of Megatron's evil plan. We also learn that Dr. Arkaville's computer can only control a slave from the Decepticon HQ. But Megatron has already got that sorted because they have duplicated his computer. On Cybertron. Archiville is unimpressed by this, to say the least, and reminds Megatron of their agreement that he will have the Earth when all is said and done. And a Megatron under his robotic breath says, You will. What's left of it? Skywarp departs, and the weather-, weather devastation continues outside. In Autobot HQ, Wheeljack comes up with the idea that the Dinobots could help save the Earth. Cue a door to open, Andy, revealing all the Dinobots. And by all of them, I mean, five of them. When in the last episode, there were only three. I have many questions about this. But we'll come back to that in a second. Because Prime orders the Dinobots to save Earth, but Grimlock makes it clear he doesn't care what happens to the planet. Well, he doesn't care until Wheeljack points out to him he is on the planet that's about to be destroyed. And then the Dinobots head out. So... The Dinobots do their thing, which is really, really cool to see, just them working as a team, but Andy, this might be the biggest continuity error, well, one of the biggest continuity errors we have come across so far in this show. How the hell are there suddenly two more Dinobots? Yeah, well and and I mean
1: we'll we'll get to this later but we also suddenly have Skyfire appear out of nowhere. I'm pretty sure he has like an origin episode later in this first season. I could be misremembering that how that that works, but I I swear like, you know, he's not actually been introduced in this series yet. And my my assumption with this is that this is down to, like, the production order versus the actual broadcaster. I mean, we, we had this discussion before we started this podcast of, like, you know, I guess we should watch them in broadcast order, but there is this production order which is different. Like, you mm. know, and maybe it would all make perfect sense and the Dinobots would all have been introduced if we'd voiced it in production order. Um, And maybe Skyfire would have been introduced as well. Because, yeah, this is definitely a moment where it feels like, yeah, you, there's... There's been some mixed messaging here, either in terms of like telling the, the 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 writers what had happened in previous episodes, or they they'd assumed that these characters had already been introduced from other episodes when they actually hadn't. Because, yeah, it's, it's. I guess, the kind of thing that you don't care about as a kid because it's like, hey, it's all the cool robot dinosaurs. But, yeah, definitely a glaring error when you watch them in the order in which they were intended to be watched.
0: Yeah, it was just one of those moments where, and again, like you said, this is the broadcast order we're doing. I mean, I'm going by the order on the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. That's mainly what I'm following. So I'm assuming they've just uploaded them in broadcast order, quite frankly, because yeah. they label all the episodes. But yeah, it's just that thing of, it was just, a, again, like there have been tiny little continuity things here and there, but from an actual character perspective, yeah, this is, this episode, these set of episodes, if I just put it that way, are the biggest culprits of that, I think so far. Yeah. Sorry, continue.
1: No, I was gonna say, yeah, for, for sure. And it, again, this this also makes me wonder about this being like a, something created to to be like, you know, a VHS release, In terms of just like, I wonder whether they were even just told to hand wave away some of that stuff to be like, look, we're going to be selling this, you know, after this is all broadcast on TV, so... Eh, just put all the cool transformers in don't worry too much about the continuity because here's our greater goal and, and again even in terms of what you were saying about selling the toys like maybe a likewise argument of like yeah we know we haven't technically introduced like swoop or Skyfire yet but the kids love them so like please put them in these episodes hmm.
0: it's like, this is a really weird comparison but it's a similar thing from from my point of view because i i grew up on power rangers as well And when the Power Rangers movie was released in the cinemas, it had the white colored Ranger in there. But in the TV show, if you were watching on terrestrial TV and not sky, like I was, the white Ranger had not been introduced yet until two episodes later. And they were like building to that story of how the white Ranger was going to be introduced, but they hadn't actually shown him yet. So that was kind of a weird thing, but it's it's stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's it's a bit annoying, but anyway, that's childhood Jeremy having a moment there. So, at Decepticon HQ, the tidal waves are now causing havoc on the ocean floor, with the base that the Decepticons are in being shaken about, and Energon cubes are just exploding as a result. Further uh, agitated... Sorry, further... um, Basically, just more damage is... I don't know what word I wrote down there. I wrote down something. But basically, more damage is caused in the hatch that appears above the ocean sea level, because the tidal wave just levels it completely, flooding the base in the process... Prompting Soundwave to say Mayday various times, which I laughed at uproariously. And at Autobot HQ, Prime and Spike are conversing when the volcano where the Ark is lodged suddenly becomes active again. And due to all the seismic, this is all due to the seismic activity. This is where Skyfire randomly appears, which I've literally written in, in all caps Skyfire is here!
1: yeah i have also written in all caps Skyfire question mark exclamation mark question mark exclamation mark
0: <laughs> <laughs> and save some autobots uh, getting sent airborne by a volcanic eruption which in itself was quite a moment it's got to be said Ironhide then heads back inside the arc much to the please of the other autobots to not do so and ends up sealing the magma below the earth just by shooting some rocks at the top of the volcano andy you know yeah
1: I, I don't know why nobody's ever done that when a volcano's been about to erupt. Just
0: shoot some rocks into it. It'll be fine. <laughs> we then see the Dinobots working their magic together to help create obstacles that reduce the damage of the waves from the ocean. Th- th- that Dinobot sequence in particular, just to focus on that for a second, I really, really enjoyed that. Just seeing them all do something working together. And especially, I can't remember which Dinobot it was, but just one of them basically just ran into the ocean to like try and... D- to, like diffuse the power of the wave and it was just such a good visual
1: yeah yeah that that's all really good stuff and, and really weirdly satisfying to kind of like watch the sort of the tidal wave just be sort of brought down to nothing by these various things again not entirely sure scientifically how, that's how tidal waves work but it does it, it looks pretty it looks pretty fun it looks pretty pretty
0: impressive any other additional lights you want to convey about any of what i was just talking about did, 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 uh, no, did you know I... did you enjoy sound wave saying mayday multiple times Uh, yeah i mean
1: again really really enjoyed that like consequences of your own actions thing of that whole scene of just like you know you you think you think you're on top of this and you've got this master plan but you haven't really factored in the kind of the 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 environmental element of causing this chaos and watching the kind of yeah the the rising sort of panic of like oh god like there's only john exploding everywhere we're flooding i'm a robot i'd well, actually, I'm fine with water. I've, I was literally fighting underground in the last ep- <laughs> not underwater in the last episode, but still. Um, and all of that is is kind of fun. Um, also, like, weird childhood memory moment from me of be- – because it's shown as part of, like, the, the, the next episode preview as well, of, like, all the Autobots being launched, like, into the air by the volcano, which, hey, kind of looks kind of scary um, in a way. But it also gave me childhood memories of that scene – followed by Timmy Mallet making some kind of pithy comment about it. And I don't recall what he said. I just recall it being kind of like Ratchet's big, like, oh my God, I've been launched into the sky by a volcano face, followed by
0: Timmy Mallet's face having something to say very energetically. Here is a complete derail of talking now. Has Timmy Mallet ever gone on record about what he thinks about Transformers? uh not that i've seen i mean probably not i
1: I mean i suspect he probably had very little recollection of kind of actually i don't suppose he sat down and watched the episodes of transformers he probably saw the last five seconds of it on vt because they were warning him that he was about to go back on air and just like i'll just say whatever random thing pops into my head or like repeat a line that optimus prime says at the end of an episode because the kids are like that and now i'm just (laughs) going to hit somebody with my big you know
0: blow-up mallet again. <laughs> Back at Autobot HQ, Prime informs Spike that Sparkplug has been taken to Cybertron. This leads to Skyfire taking Spike, Ironhide, Bumblebee, and Wheel sorry Wheeljack, Trailbreaker, and Brawn to Cybertron to hopefully find out what, what the hold over the humans Megatron has. After narrowly avoiding some missiles, they arrive on Cybertron, and Spike is taken aback by the planet when he sets off a trap and falls down a hole, good job, Spike. Bumblebee and Braun head in after him. Just to break the the flow of the the thought there, Andy. When Chip was taken to Cybertron, and we were discussing it in the last podcast, I talked about how I wish they'd have given a bit more time, or even just a, just a couple of like quick moments of "Wow, this is Cybertron." Spike literally does that, and it added so much more to it because it's a human reacting to "This is Cybertron," and even if the Autobots just respond by going "Oh, it's." It's just, it looks the same to me, you know, it's all cool. <laughs> Even if they gave that kind of reaction, just that moment of a human just taking in Cybertron. I I just really, really liked it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good. And and I mean again, I feel like this this answers a lot of your kind of complaints about the previous like Cybertron escapade where like this is this is good stuff on Cybertron. It actually spends a decent amount of time there, does some interesting stuff, and yeah, like that's a good a good intro moment to it in terms of again managing to find a bit a bit of peril to drop everybody into and uh, it kind of sets the scene for, you know, some some pretty cool stuff on a different planet,
0: which is good fun it does also make me wonder in fact you know what yeah yeah i'll continue for a moment but i'm gonna come back to a thought Uh, i'm gonna try and remember this thought but it's about Wheeljack's workshop and continuity for that so i'll hold that thought after they fall down the hole they begin working their way out through the ventilation shaft and pathways but the ground gives way again leading them to fall deeper into the planet conveniently into the decepticon headquarters and in that room is a big computer screen that says in all caps, HYPNOCHIP CONTROL! <laughs> After learning how the humans are being controlled and relaying that information to the others, Sparkplug walks in, but uh, but Spike leaves his wrench out because they will go into hiding and maybe trying to see if they can get through to Sparkplug again. Sparkplug finds it and does have a moment of clarity before the chip does does work its magic. And then ultimately, he sounds the alarm as the episode draws to a close. Again, just another great cliffhanger, and what you were talking about earlier with the emotion involved in Spike as a character. This again just exemplify because he's now in tears at the end of the episode because his dad's just turned on him again.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean that that that, that wrench does 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 a lot of like dramatic, you know, has has a, a lot of dramatic impact in itself. Like there's because there's a point earlier in this episode where where you know Spike is basically just like hugging the wrench, is like my dad. Had this wrench <laughs> it was his favorite wrench um and you know it, all of that stuff but yeah you know that's all really good um I mean if if the Decepticons were really evil they would have like called just labeled the hypno chip control computer vending machine and then would have fooled the Autobots plans but you know again as always with this thing hindsight is 2020 um but yeah like again I remember sort of a, a recollection from when i first watched this episode of just being really hyped that there was a bunch of shenanigans going down on cybertron because again i think I, I in in terms of like my childhood dream like i saw this episode before like the prior episode we talked about so this for me as a kid this was my first time like really like you know returning to Cybertron well in fact it probably the first time I'd seen Cybertron because I think I'd saw this before even the pilot episodes so the, I had like Spike's oh wow moment of like this is what Cybertron is like um so you know ag- again it sort of ties into much so I think these are so good episodes It I, it also reminded me of why I was just like completely smitten with these episodes as a kid because it was just like it was all these things that I'd not really seen before in anything
0: So, with that, we now move on to the third episode for today. That being the Ultimate Doom revival. The final part in the trilogy. With the alarm sounding and spike in tears, Shockwave then says, Destruction to all trespassers! And Soundwave and two... I've put unnamed Seeker Jets here, Andy, because I don't think they're actually ever referred to by name. Yeah, But 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 at one point, they look like Thundercracker and Starscream. At another point, they just don't. So take that what you will. At which point, now this is, I need to give my shout out to Braun here because his reaction when he's, when they've like, shockwaves found them and then they suddenly see the seekers and sound wave. His reaction is the line of dialogue as follows. I don't suppose I can interest you in a magazine subscription. <laughs> just, I, I was gone at that point. I had to pause and just laugh. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, Br- Braun gets just a whole like barrage of good lines in the early part of this episode, which is again, one of those reasons why I just remembered Braun always being around all the time in Transformers. But like, this is kind of the pretty, this episode is the first time you really, or these episodes are the first time you really get much out of him. And this whole like, trip to Cybertron, he's kind of like his time to shine in terms of like, good, good one liners.
0: Perhaps a random question, just to deviate again. Because I honestly can't remember. Was Braun, like, a popular Transformer from your recollection?
1: I think... I think he was one of the cheap ones and that's probably why he was kind of popular by proxy I mean Bumblebee was the obvious one that you know like all, all the kids loved and then you know he cost like two quid in your local like, cool toy store but Braun was also one of those mini bots and like wind charger likewise so I suspect in terms of actual toy sales, he probably was because you know he was pretty cheap and easy to come by um so I suspect there was there was a bit of that I almost wonder like again this is one of the things I'm sort of curious about with some of this stuff as to whether they just found that, like, oh, actually the guy we, we like, we brought in to, to do Braun's voice is actually, like, you know is really good, so we should get him on and, and get more lines out of him because there's also, like, an element of that, of like, maybe they were just like, hey we,
0: we've got somebody here we can work with tech to get some good lines out of So, as you can probably gather from the situation they're in a fight is about to break out, and that it does. Shockwave orders Sparkplug to stop the human as Spike is trying to escape Braun takes what I've described as a laser bullet for Spike, because quite frankly, Shockwave was just going to try and kill Spike. You know, just no malice at all in this. But Skyfire, Wheeljack, and Trailbreaker arrive to even up the score. All barring Skyfire, roll out of the room, because Skyfire is going to basically just hold them off while they all escape. And much to Shockwave's chagrin, and despite his attempts to stop them by... Uh, to to stop them escaping, excuse me, by transforming into his giant laser cannon form, he manages to blow a hole in, in the wall, allowing Skyfire to escape. The Autobots are now rolling on the Cybertron highways, as I've phrased it, bound for Wheeljack's lab, but they are having to avoid laser turrets, and the Seeker jets are also now in hot pursuit, and Skyfire provides a big assist in diverting their attention to let them get to the workshop inside bumblebee bumblebee hands wheeljack a laser disc i was very happy to see a laser disc andy <laughs> a giant laser disc about how the humans are being controlled and gives that information to wheeljack so he can start coming up with something to help with that going to stop there for a moment because i think there's a decent amount to talk about within that the point i wanted to make about wheeljack's workshop now hear me out on this The episode where Chip goes to Cybertron that I mentioned, I think we covered in the last podcast of Memory Serves. Mm -hmm. It's mentioned in that specifically, they have to go to Wheeljack's workshop where the Decepticons have now placed a lock on the workshop. It makes me wonder if technically that episode was probably produced or was originally going to air after what we're talking about now. Because from a continuity perspective, it would make sense why there isn't much in the way of, oh wow, Cybertron. But also, why it's a bit harder to get into Wheeljack's workshop and we're not seeing as much of Cybertron.
1: Yeah, I suspect that this is more just that they hadn't really thought about that. Because from what I recall, <laughs> from when I looked at the production order, I think these are the first episodes that were not produced in the order that they were aired. Um so I think I I, I think those prior episodes were created prior to these I, I suspect they just weren't too bothered or maybe will jack has more than one lab i mean he seems like <laughs> the kind of guy that would just have a whole bunch of them and this this just happens to be his other lab you know not not the not the main one um but uh but yeah who who knows there you go also did, did
0: you like the laser disc
1: Yes, yeah, always, always nice to see uh, to see that, that Cybertron is up with the, the latest uh, latest in technology. So that that's always good, and a, a fine way to store your HypnoChip documentation. Um, <laughs> also, also another shout out to, to Braun for for having the line "tall, dark, and gruesome" um, against Shockwave, <laughs> which is, is also also a very good line. And, and and again, talking about characters getting a bit more play in these episodes. I really like seeing a bit of proper shockwave mm-hmm. in this because, like, shockwave up to this point has just been kind of boring, slightly whiny, like, Cybertron commander who's just like, Oh, I'm not got any energy on. I'm not got any energy on Megatron. Whereas this is like proper shockwave of just the way I, I'm pretty sure this was like, I think this was like in one of the official sort of like character guides or maybe even on like the tech specs, but there was definitely some piece of official paraphernalia that was basically like, Shockwave is like, has the power of Megatron, but is just like completely cold and logical in how he uses it. And that kind of that comes through, like you say, in the moment he's just gonna kill Spike straight up. Like there's no hesitation, no monologuing, no you know, not even gonna bother insulting him and calling him a flesh creature. It's just like that, nah, just gonna shoot you. Um, and that's that that's again for me that's the shockwave I know from the comics who is really shockingly with every pun intended like you know deadly because he is just completely cold and logical and is quite happy you know that the iconic transformers um comic cover that a lot of people refer to quite often is one where it's a picture of, of shockwave and you've got the transformers heading at the top of the comic and he's just like carved with his laser into the wall behind him are all dead And that's just like, (laughs) that is is just like shockwave to a T of just like, he will just quite happily murder everybody and then just do what he wants. And you kind of get a little bit of a flavor of that in this episode. So it's good to have some proper good
0: shockwave action in this one. 100% agree. And just the cold heartless, like you said, just there's no emotion, just logic about it. And it really shows in this. It's really, really cool to see. Yeah,
1: it's also, again, it's kind of good voice work on the opposite end of the scale to like the spike and spark plug stuff of like, it's that really good kind of, there's just enough malice there that you can hear it, but it's also just this really like detached sort of tone in the way he says things. And it's just like perfectly pitched for that character, which again, is really sort of interesting, like the thing between like the comics and the cartoon for me, because I'd always hear like the cartoon version characters' voices in my head when I was reading the comics, which kind of shows you like how
0: strong they all were at like putting across those characters we now cut back to earth where the remaining autobots are surfing quite literally to the decepticon base but have a tidal wave on their tails they as optimus prime says sail on get it folks get it back at the decepticons earth camp as it's phrased the Slaves are working hard with preparations nearly complete, but Starscream crosses Megatron once again, having failed to put a second generator in place that will convert the hydropower of the Tidal Wave into Energon. So Megatron demands that he does it. Though Dr. archival is protesting because his Slaves will drown, quite frankly, because of the Tidal Wave. Megatron orders archival to st- to stay away from Starscream. But with that being said, archival then realizes that him and Starscream might be on a similar page. The first tidal wave arrives, and it generates a phenomenal amount of power at an incredible amount of pace. The Autobots have nearly arrived at the Energy Collector, as it is now phrased at this point in the episode, but they have a tough landing through the side of one of the walls of this Energy Collector. Just as they're about to go and fight them, the Decepticons have already left, but Jazz rightly points out that there's a bunch of humans in trouble, and they proceed to go and help them. Elsewhere on the Energy Collector, Dr. is hanging on for dear life from a stanchion hanging from the structure, with him pleading for Megatron to come back and help him, which then Starscream appears like a kaiju out of the depths right there and just grabs him, and effectively just says, Megatron may be done with you, but I've still got a use for you. Transforming into his seeker form with the Doctor inside and heading towards Cybertron that we can now see in the sky. Megatron confirms in a conversation with Reflector on the ship that he is flying that Dr. Archiville, he has no use for him now. And then uh, this this takes place moments later, as it is confirmed that all the Energon is safely on board the ship. Meanwhile, Spike is trying to sneak back inside the Decepticon HQ on Cybertron, seemingly having left the Autobots just at the lab, because, you know, smart move Spike. But he is immediately caught by Shockwave who gives the order for Sparkplug to kill Spike. Almost literally, that's what he says, though it doesn't actually explicitly say the word kill. At that moment, Wheeljack and company arrive and immediately test out their new device, which, as I phrased it, Andy, looks like one of those old-school torches you would take to a camp, which probably needs about 12 size D batteries <laughs> in it.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, they probably store the the, the, the the D batteries next to the laser discs, I imagine, in, in, his, <laughs> in his lab.
0: And it should be said at that point that the actual device works, and Spark Plug is back. There is a brief firefight, but the Decepticons are overpowered, and the and the Autobots rendezvous with Skyfire, and they head back to Earth. Again, quite a few things to to, to talk about there. Unpack, as it were. Anything in particular you wanted to make mention of? What did you think of the uh, of the uh, energy collector?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's. Fine. I I, I feel like I I was not really paying much attention to the energy collector specifically at that point. (laughs) It was just like, you know, I was kind of more interested in in other machinations going on. Um, But yeah, like, I mean, it, it probably says a little bit about how sort of beloved these episodes are by Transformers fans that like the masterpiece Transformers Wheeljack, one of his attachments is that gadget um from this episode. So is one of the things that they, you know, chose to to, to adorn him with, um, which, you know, they, they always tried to pick kind of like the fan favorite little accoutrements and attachments for for any of their masterpiece series. So that should probably tell us something. Um but I do also enjoy the kind of Dr. Archibald and Starscream falling in together as the kind of, you know, the 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 We Wish We Were Megatron Club, basically, um, which sort of adds an interesting extra little frisson to things because, you know, they, they're both sort of going full rogue by this point of just like, well, we've both been left behind here, both literally and metaphorically. Maybe maybe we can gang up and do something here.
0: We then cut to an island where Megatron's ship is loading up with more energon once again, with the with the human slaves just carrying energon cubes inside. Now this leads to the Autobots arriving, but they're kind of hiding sort of behind some bushes, and it, it prompts Mirage to start working his magic and disappear from sight and make his way towards the ship. Megatron is not happy with the speed that the slaves are working at, leading him to wonder where Dr. Arkaville is, which I think there's a bit of a continuity snafu there, but we may come back to that. A few bushes over, as I've written it down here, Starscream is trying to drain the life energy of Dr. Arkaville to create an Energon cube with so that he has a constant supply in his bid to overthrow Megatron. At the moment he decides to say that out loud, Megatron arrives and is about to terminate him when suddenly the slaves are malfunctioning, as Skywarp puts it. Quite a few things just to unpack there, Andy. Uh, anything you wanted to add in particular? Because, like I said, fair few things happening there. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: there's just, this is maybe one of the sort of few points in the episode where things feel a little bit rushed because Agreed. a whole bunch of things kind of kick off and don't really sort of, you know. They... Given what, what we've just sort of had with, you know, Starstream and Archival, that, that seems to kind of go in a slightly weird direction. And then suddenly, yeah, like everything, everything's going on all at once. And it's like felt, felt like it, it maybe needed a little bit more breathing space than it got. Yeah, which is
0: ironic given that it's been three episodes.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it, this feels like like we've got to start
0: wrapping this up. So time to, to start making moves. With the slaves malfunctioning, this leads to Mirage and Prime's crew of Autobots to reveal themselves, prompting a fight. Despite being outnumbered, the Skyfire crew eventually arrive to even up the odds and free the slaves in the process. Cybertron's latest orbit is causing another tidal wave, leading to Megatron to scarper on the ship on his own, leaving everyone else, like literally everyone else, even his own Decepticon comrades. The other Decepticons see this and begin to retreat. But uh, because a serious situation is underway, to say the least. Spike says that they need to, to get Cybertron out of orbit, and Prime has the realization that if they blow up the ship that Megatron is on, which has all of that energy on, the blast of all of that energy on together should be enough to push away Cybertron from the orbit of the Earth. Miraculously, they are able to do this. And so the ship then blows up in a blaze of glory, and Cybertron. Now, as I've written it down here, Eddie, it moves out of orbit, but I've also written down in brackets, moves out of orbit at incredible speed. (laughs) Because that bit of animation was something else. It did move away. And this brings the Earth back to normality. The episode then concludes with a shot of Megatron just floating in the debris of his spaceship. And in the wreckage, he is still alive and vows that he will be avenged as he then floats off into the distance. It it did amuse me how quickly this resolution came about. And I do have a couple of questions, I suppose. Well, one big question in particular, which I'll come back to in a second, but about any additional thoughts on the episode, aside from, like you said a minute ago, it feeling rushed, because this ending did feel very rushed. And almost... The only random example I can sort of think of a way to describe this is the build-up was really good, but then when it ultimately has to come to how are they going to resolve it, it's almost like someone went, ah, didn't have that written down. Um, we'll block the ship. So yeah,
1: yeah, it's 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 a little bit anticlimactic. I mean, I I do enjoy how that comes about. It's just like it's basically born of like Spike's desperation of like, well, we've got to do something. We can't just stand around here and let the Earth be destroyed. And like literally, kind of half picks up Optimus Prime's gun and fires it, and it's like. Yeah, but, and, and it feels like everyone else just starts like joining in and just randomly firing before Optimus <laughs> Prime is like, yeah, what if we blow up the ship? And that that is quite satisfying. It's just, yeah, it's kind of a shame that it doesn't have a bit more time to, to, to really get there and to, to work through some of its other stuff. Um, also, question mark for why the Decepticons would ever follow Megatron again after he right? literally is just like, oh, tidal wave roll, I'm off to see-, see you guys later. Uh, I'm off with my spaceship from my Benadron. But, uh, you know, maybe... They're, they're clearly the forgiving type, I guess.
0: So the question that I have that I mentioned a second ago is... Because I don't know if you know or remember at this point, because I literally do not know. Is Cybertron still in the solar system at this point or has this now just been pushed so back far through the galaxy it's now back where it was before
1: i think it just goes back where it was before like i mean in in, i I think even as a kid in like my my head cannon was that like something something space bridge in reverse <laughs> and it just ends up back where it started like there, there's maybe maybe that the force of like Cybertron being like pushed back by the explosion like reactivates the space bridge with enough energy to move it back to its original orbit because I don't think it's I don't think its location is ever spoken of again in any kind of like weird way And I mean, certainly by the time we get to Transformers the movie, it's there with the moon bases and all of that. It seems to be where it's supposed to be. So I'm guessing it just went back to wherever Cybertron is. Well,
0: there we go. And that concludes the Ultimate Doom trilogy, everybody. So, Andy, overall, what do you think of the trilogy now you've been able to go back and watch it once again?
1: yeah I, I still really love it i still think you know for, for, for its flaws in places it's still a really good story like it's definitely kind of top tier you know tv series transformers stuff um it is kind of a shame that it's sort of this final episode drops off in a few ways i mean i don't know if you noticed but there are points in that whole scene with like brawn and shockwave etc where there are lines that were clearly originally animated to be voiced that aren't and there's mm-hmm, a, yep. quite a few weird animation moments there where it feels like it was maybe they had to
0: kind of scrape it together a little bit last minute. There's there one with Prime, literally. Things. I think when I want to say when it's that, that part where Cybertron is still there and like the earth is going haywire before Spike gives the idea, there's literally a moment where it's just on Megatron's face and you can see the mouthpiece moving, but there's just no yeah. line of dialogue.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there, there's, there's certainly some, some weirdness, uh, some weirdness there. And I I forget what it is, but there are one or two like other kind of weird animation continuity errors that happen, but no, th- these are really good episodes. Um, Like I still, I still get kind of a, a bit of a kick out of them. And, and I just like the I just like how high the stakes are, you know, because a lot of, a lot of transformers again, in terms of like the, the human damage, it's always kind of like, hey, we're gonna steal all this energy, and then that's it. We'll just get lost. Like, there's almost there's almost an argument to, to be had if you're the humans of just like give the Decepticons a bunch of energy, and they might just go away. Whereas here, it's very much like this is this is like dire straits. The entire planet is under threat because of their plan, and like you know, it's kind of it's it's really interesting because it's sort of you know peak sort of menace as far as that goes. Um, it, it also we didn't, in terms of the, the zingers in these episodes, we did miss Skyfire's butt out deceptor bum, which <laughs> yeah. um again, child me was like, oh, they said bum on TV. This is amazing. And like that, that shows you like how how deep and
0: dark this series is uh, when you're five of just like they said, bum, It's amazing. Also, gotta give a shout out to Braun because he also had the fantastic moment. I think when they were still on Cybertron trying to escape, and he just said, I'll get the door and just runs through it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, yeah, <laughs> Bra- Braun is MVP
1: for, like, all the good lines in that final episode. Um, and it was, yeah, it, which it just stu- stuck in my mind so much. It was just like, oh, yeah, Braun always has the good lines, um, even though he doesn't turn up as much as you think.
0: Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this three-episode arc. Like you said, really, really strong, top tier. It's a shame it kind of unravels a little bit right in that, like, final part, of the episode but otherwise thoroughly enjoyed this a lot of great character development glaring continuity things aside just really really strong and if people have got through this podcast and haven't seen it strongly recommend you go and check them out all the episodes are on hasbro pulses youtube so definitely go out of your way to see this set of episodes so from there andy i suppose the next logical thing to discuss is what we're going to be doing next and that is that we are going to be talking about episodes 11 through 13 on the next episode of the podcast. And uh, if I was professional enough, I would have had those episode titles to hand, but for whatever reason, I don't. So give me a so second. I, I, I,
1: I, I can tell you that those three episodes are War of the Dinobots. Uh, so I think this is where we actually get introduced to Star and Swoop. Um, so <laughs> oops um countdown to extinction which is a really good episode title and then fire in the sky which as i recall it is the Skyfire introduction episode uh which clearly you know sort of ended up in uh, in kind of the wrong place and i'm actually i'm looking at the, the production codes for these episodes and uh yeah i i think both of those episodes we mentioned the 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 Dinobot episode and the Skyfire episode were both produced before the ultimate doom which is why those characters all turn up completely randomly um
0: outside when you watch them in broadcast order I wonder why they end up being broadcast in a different order I mean I know we've talked about maybe like there was a toy promotion or something to go along with it 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 just it, it seems I mean again like we said in the previous episodes, appreciate this is a children's cartoon, but just from a continuity point of view, being a stickler for it that I am, it is a pretty glaring thing, especially when you've got two introduction episodes for a bunch of characters.
1: Yeah, it, it is particularly weird because, I mean, I guess it was maybe just, maybe it was just down to when they were actually ready and completed. Like, I mean, again, given what we've been talking about with things seeming rushed and kind of lines being missed, I wonder whether this was all really against the clock and being really crunched on and it was just a case of because you know, this is an era particularly where, you know, things were being kind of rushed to studios pretty last minute. And I wonder whether it was just a case of like, okay, these are the episodes that are good to go. We just need to run this story first. Like I realize that it's this is out of continuity, but we've just gotta like we gotta give the TV station something for their syndications. So just just get that one. Get those stories out the door that would be fine their kids they won't notice um and to be fair i don't think i did as a kid so it's like i guess they were right
0: yeah fair play so yes, everybody we'll be talking about those episodes next time on the podcast thank you very much for listening or watching if you're on youtube watching the video version today once again just as a little quick reminder if you would like to get in touch with us you can find us on twitter and instagram we are at starscreams pod and if you want to do so you can drop us an email at starscreamsghostpod at gmail.com Andy, it's been a great time today and I look forward to next time Yeah, absolutely
1: more Dinobots, more Skyfire, what more could you ask for?
0: I'm actually really excited to like see the origin of Skyfire because I, I don't recall it at all, I think I may remember some of the other Dinobots origins now that I've really thought about it but I have no recollection of Skyfire whatsoever, so I am very much looking forward to that
1: yeah, it's one, it's one of the cool kind of Transformers things that has kind of endured across
0: continuities. But uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about that one in particular. There we go. Everybody, thank you very much for listening. From myself, Jeremy Graves. from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, we have been Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Thank you very much for listening and speak to you next time. Bye, everyone.